You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Today, we are here to discuss Coming to America. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Session Young. Hold up. Yeah, yeah. Coming to America, now it's coming to me. This is the long-awaited sequel to the 1988 film Coming to America. This one came out in 2021, and that's Coming to America, the number two. Isn't that clever? (laughs) This film was directed by Craig Brewer. It stars Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Sherry Hadley, Jermaine Fowler, Leslie Jones, and Wesley Snipes, and several others, actually, as well. The genre, if I had to describe it, would probably be romantic family comedy sequel. So just as a heads up for this review, most of this review is going to take the form of a personal message I will be sending to Eddie Murphy. I don't claim to know him. I don't think he'll receive this message, but just in case. And just for context, I have always been a huge fan of Eddie since he broke out during the 1980s. I saw the original Coming to America when it first came out in theaters, and I loved it. Behold, Simi, life, real life, a thing that we have been denied for far too long. Good morning, my neighbors! Fuck you! Yes! Yes! Fuck you too! I've also really enjoyed his most recent film with the same director, Craig Brewer, Dolomite Is My Name. It came out a few years ago as a Netflix film. Really funny, really clever, really smart. So now here is my review addressed to Eddie. 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 Sigh. <laughs> hey, at least you tried. As did director Craig Brewer. You guys put together a relatively sweet movie with its heart in the right place. You brought back just about every living cast member from the first movie, except for Eric LaSalle for some reason. Well, Abby, damn, look who done come up in here. Hey, it's Kunta Kinte and Ebola. Famine and Blood Diamond. Nelson Mandela and Winnie. <laughs> you spared no expense on the production design and the costumes. This actually feels as lavish as the first movie. You tried to modernize the story a little bit with some mentions of gentrification and modern-day Nazis. And you even added some new worthy talent to the proceedings, including Wesley Snipes and Leslie Jones. What's up, Hi! What's up, Sam? I'm gonna hug you because I'm a hugger. Hey, Quang! I'm sorry I slept with your man. And Lord knows you guys had the weight of not only a grim history of comedy sequels, Ghostbusters 2, Caddyshack 2, Neighbors 2, you had those, that history on your back. You had the even grimmer history of decades-long delayed sequels. Dumb and Dumber 2, Mary Poppins Returns. You had all this weighing you down, so clearly you had the odds stacked against you for this one. So props for trying, really. But sadly, you forgot to do one crucial thing. Make it funny. And I don't mean funny by just recycling all of the funniest bits from the first movie. You see, just merely repeating jokes that were funny 30-plus years ago, it doesn't automatically make them funny this time. Sorry, that's just not how comedy works, unless your name is Jerry Seinfeld or Ben Shapiro. I enjoyed some of the musical numbers and some of the cameos. I liked revisiting the world of Zamunda again. Uh, Jermaine Fowler, 
He's pretty charming as Akeem's, quote, bastard son that I want to see more of him, actually. And I did even find myself smiling at times, chuckling even a few times. If nothing else, then for the crazy body language and getup of Wesley Snipes' General Izzy. That's who he plays. <laughs> but for most of the 105-minute screen time, I was just kind of sitting there bored, watching a very standard rom-com plot, which, to be fair, wasn't fresh even 32 years ago. Watch it play out in predictable fashion, finding myself more entertained by the costumes than anything else. <sighs> oh, and Eddie. You're not even in this film that much. And neither is my girl Lisa, played by Sherry Headley. Where were you guys? You became supporting characters halfway. Just really disappointing. So in conclusion, Eddie, I still love you, man. And you were great in Diaz for Dolomite, so I know you still have the chops. Keep plugging away. I want to see more of you. Hook up with some good directors. Soderbergh, Jenkins, the Safdie brothers. Hell, even Paul Feig, who might know how to best utilize you. Do some small-scale stuff. Play a villain. Hell, do something for A24. Don't be afraid to stretch, and most importantly, don't disappear again from movies again, Eddie. Bottom line is, I'm not mad at what you did here. I'm just disappointed. But I'm not giving up on you. So that brings us to the categories. And if Eddie's still listening, you're welcome to continue to listen, Eddie, because I hope this is all good feedback. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. And as I've told you guys in other podcasts, music is so essential to a film to how it works, and this category basically designates the best song cue or the best piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. And this is a film that is filled with so many random musical cameos, you have no idea. But I actually, of those cameos, I actually found it quite a joy to see En Vogue and salt and Peppa make an appearance early on, singing a short reinvention of their 90s hit, What a Man. Of course, they took the chorus of it and they made it What a King. Yes, it's silly, but it made me smile. And now there's the other category, and this one, this one's pretty obvious. Wasted talent. Wasted talent is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. This is basically the person involved. It could be a director, writer, actor, you name it, who is just not properly utilized for the film. And isn't the answer just super obvious with this one? It has to be Eddie. It has to be Eddie for all the reasons I've already cited. But I had to say, if there was a close runner-up to Eddie for the Wasted Talent Award... It would have to be Sherry Headley. <sighs> Sherry Headley. I had such a crush on her after seeing the original movie. Their romance was cliched in that movie, but it was still such a sweet core for the story. And yet she's given nothing to do. There's hardly any scenes between her and Eddie, no less. It's just such a letdown. So Sherry Headley is the close runner-up for Wasted Talent. Now the trailer moment. This is the scene or the moment in the movie that best describes the film, whether you love it or hate it. This is what you show somebody to sell that opinion. And it's a hard one for this one, but this is the moment when the, probably the film showed the most promise for me, while also still letting me down at the same time. And this moment comes pretty early on in the movie. This is when King Akeem, because yeah, he's King Akeem right now. He was Prince Akeem in the first movie. Now he's King Akeem. This is when he first finds his son Lavelle in Manhattan in front of Madison Square Garden scalping basketball tickets. Akeem shocks him, covered in New York sports garb, including a Mets jacket and hat. And this is kind of personal, you know, as the trailer moment, but as someone who grew up in New York, this scene just gave me the nostalgic feels in so many ways. For a pre-pandemic bustling Manhattan, for a callback to a funny visual gag from the first movie, you know, to when he's wearing all that sports garb, to my childhood love for the New York Mets, and just seeing Eddie Murphy in New York again, and strangely, 
even to a time when folks actually cared about St. John's College basketball. I didn't even know they cared anymore. The setup is all there for a great moment, but sadly, it's just another forgettable moment in a movie that's filled with them. There's really not much reaction given to each character, even though this is a father and son meeting for the first time ever in 30 years. But the potential was there. And then my final award would be for MVP. This is the person most responsible for the success of this film or its failure, or just the person who stands out the most. And if there's one talent who comes out of this film unscathed, it's Wesley, Wesley Snipes. I've always loved Wesley Snipes. And he was genuinely funny and engaging in the last film these guys did together, Dolomite Is My Name. And he was pretty damn funny in this one, too. He's just going full throttle with this performance, from the costumes to the accent to actually making himself appear much less graceful than we know he is. Prince Lavelle is currently indisposed. Indisposed? Really? I will not continue to be jerked around like a howler monkey grazing in a field of horny goat weeds. Snipes is good enough in this that I want more. Wesley Snipes needs bigger roles, and he's way overdue. So in conclusion, if I had to rate this film out of five stars, I would unfortunately give it a two-star review. I still love the first movie, and at some point I'll review that one as well. If you want to check out Coming to America, it's been available and continues to be available on Amazon Prime. It's actually a Prime Video movie. Thank you, and join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.